All right, we're going to jump in. Our theme this semester is refuge, and I want to do something a little, probably outside some of your comfort zones. Look to whoever's sitting on your right, to whomever, whomever is sitting on your right, and I want you to share with that person your favorite color. Favorite color and why? Do it now. Don't argue with me. Do it right now. All right, ladies. Quickly, who picked red as their favorite color? Well, you should have. Red is the best color, isn't it? Yeah, why did you pick red? It's happy, it's fun, it can be aggressive if need be. There's a lot of things about red. I love red too, that's my favorite color. How many of you pick blue? I think blue is the universal most popular favorite color. How many of you pick green? Green, why, why did you pick green? Why did you pick green? It's cheerful. I don't think of cheerful when I think of green, but I think of growth. I think green is growing. Yeah, it's a good color. Okay, let me tell you why I ask you that question. I did some research on colors and what they mean because the theme of this semester is refuge, and I'll tell you why that ties to colors in just a minute. But I started doing some research on front doors and what the color of particular front doors actually means. So let me tell you this. Do any of you have your front door painted orange? No. If you did, you are indicating or you are letting people know the message you're sending is that you're a social butterfly and you like to entertain. How many of you have a red front door? You do? Okay, do you know what? You have a red front door? I love red front doors. Red front doors mean you are hospitable and welcoming. And I can see by your scarf that that's true. You are happy and bubbly. How many of you have a gray front door? Gray front door, gray front door. Okay, Meredith, here's what this means. It means that you are indecisive <laughs> and you prefer to compromise, which that can be a good thing. All right, how many of us have a black front door? Black front door, do you know what it means? It means you're very orderly and controlled. That, and so what you're indicating, the message you're sending is when you walk in my house that it's going to be very controlled and orderly. I need to paint my door a different color. Okay, how many of you have a wood or a brown front door? Yeah, most of us, because that's on trend right now. Chip and JoJo would totally affirm that. A wood front door just means you're down to earth, salt of the earth. They just didn't know what to say. That's what that means. Down to earth, whatever. Green, how many of us have a green front door? My mom has a green front door. Do you have a green? Green front doors. That means this. You're going to be excited about this, Allison. That you are financially stable and prosperous. What it means is that's the message you want people to know. I think I'm just going to paint my door green and let that be prophetic and see if that would come true. Purple, anyone with a purple front door? If so, you should rethink, you might want to rethink that color. Purple means you're a risk taker. I would say so for sure. And turquoise means, any turquoise? Dreamer, you're emo, you crave emotional peace and stability. But here's why I had you do this exercise. How many of us have a blue front door? Blue, 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 Nona does, I know. Blue front doors. This is what you are signifying. This is what this means. 
is that your home is a place of safety. It indicates loyalty, trust, that it is a safe haven, a refuge. Painting your front door blue, you are signifying to the world this home is a refuge, a safe place. So if you saw on our emails, half of you did 40 times and the other half have not seen it, but our graphic on our email is a blue front door and the title of the series is Refuge. And the reason of that being is that God is a safe place and when you enter into the blue front doors, that's to signify that you've come to a safe place. So that's what we're talking about this semester is what does it mean to find refuge in God? So let me take just one more second and have you look to your neighbor on your left. I know you're like, I didn't sign up for exercises, Laura. <laughs> I want you to talk in 20 seconds, share with your neighbor, what, how do you define refuge? How do you define refuge in your life? What is a refuge to you? Share with your neighbor to your left or whoever, I don't care, just share. Okay. Throw out quickly some words to me, some descriptors of what refuge means to you. Safe. What else? Solace. Sanctuary. Let's get a little more specific. I'll get specific with you. Safe haven is what comes to my mind. But when I think of a refuge, I think warm, I think cozy, and I think these things. My refuge is free from contentious relationships. It's free from any strife. It's free from harm. It's full of peace, full of harmony. It's cozy. And if you, I really am going to get specific, a refuge for me will be a table with chips and queso that abound. <laughs> chips and queso. My favorite people surround me, but only are talking when I want them to. <laughs> and... A perfect Netflix series has just like Downton Abbey started for the first time and I haven't watched any of it and I have all the time in the world and I can just sit in my cozy blanket wrapped body and just sit there and watch it with chips and cake. That's a refuge for me. And really I have nowhere to be. I have no, the clock is turned off. That's a refuge for me. Uh, I don't know what a refuge for you is, but right now in our lives, I know that all of us are super, super busy, and so I don't get the privilege of sitting on a couch and with a warm blanket and, and binge watching Netflix with chips and queso. I don't get to do that. So there are ways that I find refuge in my life when I'm in a busy season like this season. You probably do too. Some of the things that are refuge for me are places, people, and practices. Those are things that I find refuge in places for me my family my husband Jason and my two kids Ben and Beth we just sold our house that we've lived in for 15 years almost 16 years and it was a real refuge for me it was a little box it was a small house it was the first house Jason and I bought we brought our kids home there and it was just very cozy so every time I drove into my driveway it just was a deep breath my home was a refuge. Well, we sold it and we're repairing the home that we've purchased. And in the meantime, my roommate is housing us. And we moved into her house. If you remember when Harvey hit, she got flooded. She moved into our house with her kids for three months. And the same day to the year, a year later, we moved into her house. <laughs> I've never believed in karma. I don't believe in it, but it was pretty interesting that day that we thought, here we are back again. I do believe in irony. 
So when we moved in and we left my cozy little house, I thought, oh, my refuge is leaving. And Catherine was so sweet. She said, why don't you bring your bed and set it up in Kate's room and we'll move her bed out. Sweet Kate, she's 10, 11. So we did that. And so my bed, have you ever traveled and you thought, I just want to get home to my own bed and sleep in my own bed with my own pillow? Well, I get to do that every night, even though I'm not in my own home anymore. And it's a refuge for me. Every time I crawl in that bed, it's like, just peaceful. There are people in my life that provide refuge for me. One is my very best friend lives in College Station. And we talk on the phone probably three times a day. And our conversations can last 45 minutes, but typically they're about three minutes. And they surround something about fashion a lot. She called me the other day and was like, hey, let me ask you, can a 40-something wear overalls? And I was like, okay, you can? And I like jump right in. You can, but here's the thing. They've got to fit a certain way, blah, 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 blah. And there's something about that uh, mindless conversation that's a refuge. It's just fun. It's easy. We don't have to think about anything that we're responsible for for those three minutes. And we can talk about what we love, and that's clothes. That's what we do. So Jamie's a sweet refuge for me. There are practices in my life that provide refuge. For me, this summer, I just became a beached whale and stopped exercising, and I just ate a lot of chips and queso, and I just felt about as sluggish as you could feel. But I knew when this season started and Bible study was kicking back into gear that I was going to be stressed in a way. I just knew that my life would be busier than normal. And I was also uh, not going to be in my own home. And so I've started exercising again six days a week. And I'm trying to be as diligent as I can because that provides refuge for me. When I'm running, I'm listening to worship music and everything kind of tends to just give me a deep breath. So there's places, there's people, there's practices in our lives that provide refuge. And I wonder if you, we're not going to talk any more to each other. You've totally shut your neighbor out for a minute. But if you had to think in your own mind, what is, what is providing refuge for you? What's been triggered as I described those things? There's a verse in the Bible, Psalm 73, 8, that for me is the anchor for this series for us girls. And it says this, the psalmist says, but for me... It is good to be near God. And he says, I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. He says, I have made the Lord my refuge. And when I read that, it really struck me. And I thought, how do I make the Lord my refuge? The Lord says throughout scripture, I am your refuge. I am your rock. I'm your ever present I'm ever present in in your time of need. I am your refuge. Under the shadow of my wing, you will find refuge. What does it mean? The definition of refuge is safe haven or protective covering. Have you ever felt exposed? Have you ever felt like the roof has come off and you're just totally vulnerable out here in the world trying to figure things out? And you have felt uncovered? The Lord says, I'm your refuge. I'm your covering. That's what refuge refuge means. What does it mean to make him my refuge? That's what we're going to talk about all semester long. And we're going to start by looking in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 35. And in Numbers, we find the Lord begin to use this term refuge in a physical sense. And it's prophetic about Jesus, honestly, how he becomes our ultimate refuge. But he begins to talk about 
refuge and what refuge is meant to be in the Old Testament. And so I want to take us there to the very beginning and see what he says. And I think we'll find things that will be meaningful for us today, but we'll also point to Jesus. And so if you'll look with me, we've got scripture that's printed out for you on your table and it's the same translation that I'm using. Or if you have a smartphone and you want to read along or your own Bible. We always provide Bibles on the table, but if you can, stick your Bible in your glove compartment or in your purse and bring it with you because there's something powerful about cracking it open yourself and reading the Word as I read along. So, here we go. We're in Numbers 35, chapter 35, verse 9. And let me give you a little bit of backdrop. The Lord has been leading the Israelite people, His people group, to the promised land, which is the land of Canaan. And it has taken a lot longer than intended because they are a stiff-necked group of people. They are much like me. They ask a lot of questions. They want to call the shots. They want to be in control. They get fearful when they're not in control. They blame God. They stick their heels in the ground, and it's a big mess. And so after a long time, they're about to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And as they do, the Lord begins to, and he's already done this, but he is reminding them, he's divided the Israelites into 12 tribes. You know, tribe is a word that we hear a lot. I feel like it's taken on a, um, a popular meaning these days that we call our friend groups, my tribe. That's my tribe. Well, the Lord, that started in the Old Testament when the Lord divided the Israelites into 12 tribes. One of the tribes were the Levites. The Levites were the pastors of the group. They were clergy. They were the spiritual leaders of the group. So the Lord is saying, okay, 12 tribes, we will have land dispersed among these 12 tribes, but the Levites will not be given their own land. They'll just be given cities within your lands because you need spiritual leadership. So they'll take up residency in your land, but you will give them their own city. So that's where we pick up. The Lord is explaining this. In verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. He says, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, designate cities of refuge to which people can flee if they have killed someone accidentally. <laughs> right? Hey, you never know. You never know. So the Lord is designating cities of refuge. I want us to, all, to, to recognize right off the bat, they have not asked the Lord for a city of refuge. Why? Because they don't know they need it yet. But the Lord knows you're going to need a place of refuge and I'm going to provide it before you even know to ask me for it. That's called grace. That's called a loving God. And so here's... Here are the confines, here are the rules about these particular cities of refuge in the Old Testament. Designate cities of refuge to which people can flee if they have killed someone accidentally. These cities will be places of protection from a dead person's relative who wants to avenge the death. So I, I kill someone accidentally, I kill Sylvia accidentally, I don't know why that came to mind, but I kill Sylvia accidentally Sylvia's husband, Titus, is coming after me to avenge the death and kill me. And the Lord is saying, Laura, you're going to need a place to flee. So I'm going to set up, set up a city of refuge for you. That's what we're doing here. Then we come back and let's continue to read. It says, the slayer, the killer, must not be put to death before being tried by the community. So designate six cities of refuge for yourselves. 
Three will be on the east side of the Jordan and three on the, on the west side in the land of Canaan. Now, these cities are for the protection of the Israelites, the foreigners living among you, and traveling merchants. Anyone who accidentally kills someone may flee there for safety. This is another glimpse into the heart of our God that we serve. He says, these cities of refuge, while I'm setting them up within the land the Israelites possess, anyone can flee here. Anyone is welcome to a city of refuge. So don't get all exclusive Israelites and think, no, this is just for our tribe. He's saying, no, 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 these cities of refuge are for anyone. So it's anyone that's an Israelite, it's anyone that's a foreigner living among you or a traveling merchant that's just passing through and accidentally kills someone. Anyone is welcome. And that is true about the heart of God. Anyone is welcome to the table. Anyone is welcome to the table. We come to the table through Jesus. And anyone that wants to come to the table through Jesus is welcome. That's important that we never forget that, that we never forget that. Verse 16, it says, but if someone strikes and kills another person with a piece of iron, it is murder and the murderer must be executed. Or if someone with a stone in his hand strikes and kills another person, it's murder too. I'm so grateful for the clarification. And the murderer must be put to death. Or if someone strikes and kills another person with a wooden object, it is murder and the murderer must be put to death. This is what I love about the Lord is he already anticipates the way they're going to come up with excuses. Wait a second. It was with wood. It was with wood. And wood is softer than iron. And I'm sorry that he died. He shouldn't have died. I was just disciplined. I mean, the Lord probably already knows all these excuses and he's going to just clarify it first and say, nope, here's the thing. Before you come to me, let me let you know. Iron, rock, wood, whatever. You kill someone, you're a murderer. You kill them intentionally, you're a murderer. If you kill them unintentionally, I'm going to provide a place of refuge. All right. Verse 19 says, the victim's nearest relative is responsible for putting the murderer to death. When they meet, the avenger must put the murderer to death. That is um, issued by God himself. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's not just something that the family member is going to do in an act of rage. It's something that is warranted. So the family member is responsible to avenge the, the victim's death. It was the law of God. The wages of sin is death. And that is how they practiced it in the Old Testament. Verse 20, it says, so if someone hates another person and waits in ambush, then pushes him or throws something at him and he dies, it is murder. Okay, good to know. Or if someone hates another person and hits him with a fist and he dies, it is murder. In such cases, the avenger must, be, must put the murderer to death when they meet. Okay, here's we get, here we get into the point of the cities of refuge. 22, but... Suppose someone pushes another person without having shown previous hostility or throws something that unintentionally hits another person. Whoops, so sorry. Or accidentally drops, accidentally drops a huge stone on someone. If this should happen, the community, like what are they doing? I don't know. The community must follow these regulations in making a judgment between the slayer and the avenger, the victim's nearest relative. Verse 25, hang with me girls, says the community must protect the slayer from the avenger. 
The community must protect the slayer from the avenger and must escort the slayer back to live, to live in the city of refuge to which he fled. There he must remain until the death of the high priest who was anointed with sacred oil. But if the slayer ever leaves the city limits of the cities of refuge, if he ever leaves, steps outside those limits and the avenger finds him outside the city and kills him, it will not be considered murder. Let's finish up. Verse 28, the slayer should have stayed inside the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer may return to his own property. These are the legal requirements for you to observe from generation to generation, wherever you may live. Let's break this down for just a minute. The Israelites, there's 12 tribes. The Levites don't get their own their own property. They instead have cities within these designated lands. But within the cities, six of the 48 cities, they got 48 cities, the Levites, six of those cities are cities of refuge. Now, who gets to go into the city of refuge? The accidental murderer, right? The accidental murderer gets to flee to the city of refuge. Here's what's interesting about that. The cities of refuge have been set up for protection of those that have done wrong. It was just an accidental done wrong. They get to come in and they get to live within the city of refuge. But by coming to the city of refuge, they must leave their homeland. They must leave what is familiar. Why? Because God says, if you go back and you step out of the city of refuge and you try and head back, you are vulnerable to die. You are vulnerable to attack. The avenger is coming after you. And the only place in which you are safe is the city of refuge within the walls of the city of refuge. That's it. That's it. If you step outside and think, well, I've been here long enough. I think they've probably forgotten about me. And they kill you, it's on you. That's a decision you've made. But if you stay inside the boundaries given to you, you will live. You will live. I want us to think about that for just a minute when we talk about Jesus. In Hebrews 6, 8, I want to read this to you. It says this, God has given us both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, we can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest. Now, if you remember... Uh, part of the rules within the cities of refuge is that you could stay there and live. And once the high priest died, you could go back to your homeland, but you were safe and secure. Jesus has said he is our high priest that has died on our behalf and full freedom comes from his death. Scripture says in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. He wants fellowship. And so I want you to picture Jesus as our refuge. What scripture tells us that he's our great refuge. But just like these cities of refuge, we choose to enter into that refuge. We choose. 
I get to choose. And there are times I want him as refuge, and there are times I want Target as a refuge. There are times I want him as my refuge, and there are times I would just rather eat a whole bag of chips. And what the Lord is saying to the Israelites, the foreigners, the traveling merchants, you think home, what's familiar, what's comfortable, what you understand is your place of refuge. And you've done something wrong, and you've been caught, and you're afraid, and so you want to run home. But I'm telling you, home is where you're going to be killed. And so I'm making a home for you. And in this home, you're going to live. You're going to live. Now, here's the thing. Every city had city gates. You had to walk through the city gates. These cities of refuge, I don't know that their doors were painted blue, but they may as well have been. They were to signify you are safe here. And the Lord is a safe place for us. And so I just want you to think that with me for just a minute. When you find yourself in desperate need, when the world is giving way and it feels as though it's coming at you and there are too many plates to spin, where do you initially run to find refuge? Where do you run to find refuge? I've been vulnerable and shared with you. Mine's melted cheese a lot of the time. Where, where is your place of refuge? Is it a girlfriend? Is it a movie theater? Is it a binge of watching Netflix? Is it a bottle of wine? Is it a bed for days? Is it a prescription drug? What is it? Where do you find refuge? We all find refuge in lots of ways. Like I mentioned earlier, it can be people, it can be places, it can be practices that you do. And while none of those things are inherently wrong or bad, typically some can be, they are not our refuge. Jamie can only answer the phone so much, and there are times where she's like, I am done talking. She is not my refuge. While the Lord uses her as a blessing in my life, she is not my refuge. My sweet husband is not my refuge. That bed, you know every eight years you're supposed to trade in your mattress? That bed is wasting away. It's not my refuge. I can only run for so long. My knees are cracking every time I bend them. My body will give way. These things that we run to, girls, as our refuge are not meant to be our refuge, and they make us vulnerable. They make us vulnerable because we're putting stock in something that was never meant to hold. Never meant to hold. And so the Lord is saying to you and he's saying to me, I'm your refuge. I am your refuge. But what he is also saying is I am the one that created the refuge and the refuge is on my terms. Because here's the thing. I want to run in with one foot into the refuge that is the presence of God. I want his presence. I want his direction. I want him. But I also want me. And what I mean by that is I want to call the shots. I want me and I want what feels comfortable to me. And I want what I want. So I want him to give me what I feel as though I need in the time that I need it. But I also want to be able to say, well, I don't really like that option. And so I'm going to come over here. Because sometimes refuge for me is not what I anticipate it to be. Sometimes God's 
uh, rest for me. In, in Psalm 23, he says, I make my sheep lie down in green pastures. I, don't, I think we can bypass that word too quickly, make. I make my sheep lie down in green pastures to give them rest. I don't want to be made to rest sometimes. And so the Lord is saying, I am providing refuge, but I provide it on my terms and not yours. But here's the thing. If you and I do not know the true character of God, that sounds really scary in an unhealthy way. That sounds like, I don't know if you're trustworthy, and that means I'm putting my trust in the hands of somebody that might not be after my best interest, and I don't know that I want to do that. Nor should we do that. If we don't know the character of God, that does seem ridiculous. But when I know the character of God and I learn the character of God through his word, he's an ever-present help in time of need. He will never leave me or forsake me. His plans for me are good plans not to harm me, but to give me a hope and a future. He will provide all of my needs according to his glorious riches that are found in Christ Jesus. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He's loved me. He's come after me. He sent his son to die for me. Because here's the difference between me and the accidental murderer in the Old Testament is I'm the intentional murderer. Scripture says if you look at someone with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. Scripture says if you hate someone in your heart and in your mind, you've already killed them. You're already a murderer. Let's just pause for a moment and put our thoughts up here on a ticker tape. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so our first step, really, before we even start to look at the character of God, is just to start to remind and look at ourselves again. I'm in need of refuge. I'm in need of refuge. Who is the avenger? The enemy is the avenger. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the Lord is saying, I am your safe place. I see it all. I know it all. I know what you thought five minutes ago. I know what you did yesterday. I know what you're contemplating about doing tomorrow. I see it. I understand it. I know your deepest fears. I know what you wake up at three o'clock in the morning worried about because you're not trusting me. I know it all. I know it all. And yet I love you and I sent my son to die for you so that you could have a safe place. And that safe place is in my presence in relationship with me. And I get to decide if I'm going to walk through those doors and fellowship with him and he with me. And you get to decide the same thing. And when I said yes, I said yes many years ago and I walked into relationship with Jesus. I can tell you he has always, always provided refuge. And I can also tell you it is Typically, not how I anticipated it would be and not what I wanted initially. But it has always been what I needed most, and it has always benefited me. Always. Always. It has not always been easy. It's always been worth it. He himself is our refuge. And when I walk into relationship with him, what I am saying, when I open that door and I walk through and I begin a relationship with Jesus, what I am saying is you are my God and I am your daughter. Ben and Beth, they don't get to call the shots. I'm mama. They children. 
I am his daughter, but here's the thing. I always have my children's best interest in mind. As fallible as I am, I'm aimed right with them. Here's the thing about God. He's infallible. He always has my best interest in mind, and he never makes a mistake. He never makes a mistake. So if it's come through his fingers into my life, he's going to use it for good. His scripture tells me that. He is a safe place. When we met together, our team, our yes team, our Houston team, we have two teams. We have a Friendswood team and we have a Houston team. And we're all under, we're on the same big team, which is Yes Ministries. But we were preparing for you girls and we met at Karen Flowers' house um, last week. Or I don't remember what, it was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, last week. And we were sitting there and she lives in Montrose and in this beautiful high rise, or I don't know, it's a beautiful house. But it's one of those tall, skinny houses. And if you drive down these streets in Montrose, they're narrow. And you kind of have to, you feel like you have to suck in just to drive down the street because it's pretty narrow. So we're all parked on the side, but she's got these beautiful windows that overlook the street. And there's big trees that kind of fall over. And we spent a, about an hour together. We moved into the living room where we could see the street. And we just began to, to share prayer requests with one another and pray for you and pray for the semester. And that was about a 20 minute span of time maybe 30 minutes. And in that span of time, I looked outside and I'm telling you the fiercest storm rose up. We've seen that the last, it feels like 80 days. It feels like it rains for 30 minutes every day, but it's a rain that's like ferocious. And it was one of those ferocious downpours. And we're looking and there's a, a white truck parked out front and we're like, that tree is about to fall on that truck. I wonder if we should let the truck person know that. It was just coming down and it, we were just watching it. And yet we were covered, we were dry, we were safe. And in the blink of an eye, it passed, it shifted. And when we left, the skies were blue. But as we're still sitting in her living room, I look outside and I just see the blue skies coming and the beautiful blue, just gorgeous. And I'm like, my goodness, that was a quick shift. And in that moment, I just sensed the spirit say to me, this is what it's like with refuge. You see, for me, the way I define refuge is the storm never comes. The storm never comes. It's always blue skies. And God is good if he maintains that blue sky above me. And God has never promised me that. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Take heart. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Take heart. You are safe. Does it mean I'm never going to get wet? No, doesn't. Does it mean I never have to endure a storm? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But he is saying, if you make me your refuge, you can know in your life that you are always covered. You are always covered. You're always protected. Now, here's the kicker is that he has to define for me what it means to be covered and protected. Because oftentimes I've endured trials in my life and I think, no, 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 no. See, I don't feel covered. I don't feel protected right here. What? No. Why would you allow me to go through this? And yet I've always come out on the other side. I've always come out. And I think, okay, I'm not coming out on the other side unscathed. There's some scars. But I've always been safe. I've always been safe. Death has lost its sting. You are not unsafe 
If you have an illness right now and you might be dying, we are all dying, girls. We're all dying. And I don't mean to sound glib at that at all. I'm holding on to that for dear life because some of the dearest people in my life are struggling with their health. And it feels as though they, they're uncovered when I look at it in my natural eyes. But I say, Lord, what is the truth? The truth is, is that you're their refuge. So what does that mean? They're covered. They are protected. Now, they may go home to heaven earlier than I would like, but death has lost its sting. That's not the end. They're going home and they'll be in your presence. And you will be with me as I grieve. I am never alone. I am never outside of his hand. Here's the thing. I don't ever want to step outside of that city of refuge. I don't ever want to do it. I've done it too many times, and it's just not worth it. The chips and queso make me bloated. It's not worth it. (laughs) Whatever it is that you think might meet the need faster, it will leave a greater hole. It just will. Ask Eve in the garden. So as we start our semester together, we will be looking at different passages of Scripture, and we will be looking at the surprising ways God provides refuge for His people. And I'm so excited about it, I can hardly stand it, because it's, it's bolstering my own faith. Because I'm in a season where while my life looks intact, those around me, there are some around me that are really struggling. And as I intercede in prayer for them, it caught, I'm saying, Lord... Lord, heal, change, fix, move. And the Lord continues to remind me, He is a refuge. He's never changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is worthy of my trust, and He is worthy of your trust. Here's the thing. He's God, and I'm not. His ways are higher than mine. And so there are lots of times where when I just look at it with my natural eyes, it does not make sense. And in those times, I go back to Hebrews 6, and I'll read it again and we'll close. God has given us both his promise and his oath, and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It is an anchor for our souls. We are not left. We are not untethered. We are not flapping out there in the wind. We are anchored. We are held. We are loved. And he will see us through. He is the trustworthy anchor for our souls despite the chaos that may surround us. It is the truth. The truth. And I get to believe it. And this hope, it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. See, that's the sweetness that we'll talk about too, is inside that refuge we get his presence. We get to hear him speak to us. We get to hear him delight over us with singing in a way that we didn't think was possible. We get to hear his gentle whisper say, I love you, I see you, I haven't left you. I'm going to provide for you just like I always have. We get to hear that. The God of the universe will speak to you. And Jesus, it says, has already gone in there for us. And he's become our eternal high priest. He died on the cross so that we can walk in freedom. So my question to you and my question to me, who is our refuge? Who is our refuge? 
Let's make the great high priest our refuge this semester. We're going to learn how to do it together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. Oh my goodness, you have provided refuge when we as sinful women do not deserve it, and yet you have provided it before we even knew to ask for it. And I pray right now, if there's anyone in the room that has never made Jesus your refuge, do it today. Here's how we do it. You say, Lord, I recognize that I am a woman that is sinful, and I am in need of forgiveness. And you have provided that forgiveness through the death of your son Jesus on this cross. And I receive him as my Savior and my Lord. Father, we just thank you and we ask, Lord, for the next five weeks that you would do a work in us that we didn't even think to ask for. That you would set our feet on a rock and make our footsteps firm in ways that we've never known assurance like that. Pray that we would be women that walk with our head held high. That we, like the woman in Proverbs, laugh at the days ahead because we are so confident in the God who loves us and holds us. You are good. Where else would we go but you? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, ladies, we will see you next week. Thank you for being here.